Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who had an 11-year Major League Baseball career, playing for the New York Yankees, Anaheim Angels, Texas Rangers, Boston Red Sox, San Diego Padres, and Los Angeles Dodgers. With the Yankees, he was a member of the 96 and 99 World Series Championships, both over the Atlanta Braves, and gained recognition as one of the best postseason hitters in baseball history during the decade. He has been just as clutch off the field as he is spokesman for the PinkTie.org, Business Professionals Networking for a Cure, and the Anti-3 Protect Series, regularly making trips to New York to enhance business development. PinkTie.org was founded upon the idea of bringing sports and charities together by creating exciting atmospheres for networking to benefit great causes. It's always great having him on. It is a pleasure to welcome back Jim Leritz to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Jimmy. Hey, Mark. How you doing, man? I was hoping to be in studio with you, but the rain came and we had to leave. So. No worries. No worries. Listen, it's always good talking to you, whether it's live or on the phone. Yeah, I really miss it. I really wanted to see you in the studio, Jim. <laughs> I, I was hoping, but you know what? We were, we were doing the walk right over there in East Islip, and uh, the rain came, and we had to yeah. clear out early, and I couldn't make the 40-mile-an-hour 40, 40 drive back. Yeah, uh, AJ's yeah. heartbroken. But, all right, so let's get to it. Let's start with the postseason. As much as baseball has changed, the one thing that remains constant is usually good pitching beats good hitting. But it's not always the case. You look at the 96 World Series. The Yankees had Cone, Pettit, and Key. But the Braves had Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox, okay? The Braves' staff pitched to a 2.33 ERA to the Yankees' 3.93. The key, obviously, was the back end with Mariano, Mariano and Wetland. When you get to postseason and you are facing starters like Atlanta's Big Three or the Astros' modern-day version, what adjustments as a hitter and a team have to be made? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to kind of judge the postseason because you're facing the best pitchers. You know, and, and, and when you see guys hitting 150 and 140, people make a big deal about it. But in all honesty, that's what they're, they're seeing the best. And sometimes, you know, guys, you know, that, that, are, that hit well during the season, uh, put up the power numbers, put up the, you know, they, they're doing that against the three, four, and five starters a lot. And, you know, when it comes to the postseason, you're not seeing that fourth and fifth starter. So I think that's a big, big part of it. A lot of people don't understand is, you know, the averages are usually going to be down in the postseason, but the one thing that is, you know, is, is these, you know, these big home runs and these big moments that players are, are allotted in. You saw it happen with, with DJ in the top of the ninth and, of course, with Altuve in the bottom. You know, we had Neil Allen on two weeks ago, and he talked about his role as a, a pitching coach with the Twins and how much data the pitchers were given on, on Yankee hitters, a team that they'd faced many times in the regular season and actually had faced them two weeks prior to the playoffs. He said two weeks prior, the reports were like 20 pages. He said in the playoffs, it was 250 pages. As a catcher, how much of that information, and I, I talk about this because of Sanchez, could be overkill, and how much of that can affect his hitting? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it depends on how much he pays attention to it. I, one of the biggest complaints my managers had is I didn't read, I didn't read enough. And I said, listen, there's only a couple things that I need to know. I need to know what my pitcher's throwing that day, how strong he is, what's he look like. But number two, I need to know who the hottest, who the hottest hitter is right now. I don't care, you know, 
the numbers and all the stats for the regular season because this is the postseason. I want to know who was hot coming in because those are the guys that feel good at the plate, and those are the guys that you have to worry about. And I think that to me that was that was the whole uh, thing. But yes, a lot of that information, a lot of what maybe Gary Sanchez has been having to study and do all that, it, maybe it affects you a little bit. But I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with getting down on your knees and blocking a ball. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's the, those are the things that came to light during this, you know, the, during these series. Is you know, there's still some things that he has to work on, and uh, you know, and, and when he was hitting during the season, it was fine. But when you don't hit, and then you're still not doing well behind the plate, uh, it becomes a pretty big deal. Which gets to the next obvious question. There's even some chatter about that for Game Six with his defensive shortcomings in the series, and clearly it wasn't just one game, it was a couple of games in the series, and with the fact that he wasn't hitting. Would you have, if you were managing the Yankees, started Orson Romine last night, have the better defensive catcher in? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're in that situation, it's the feel of the clubhouse, what the manager feels, to be honest with you. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you that because I, did, I don't know what Gary... Gary Sanchez might be like me, and he might have went 0-4 if you care less and come out tomorrow and go 4 4 you know, that was the type of thing that some guys, some guys can do that, some guys can't. Um, I think the, the situation was very, very tough for Booney because the bottom line was, yeah, you would have benched, I would have benched Sanchez under normal circumstances the game before, right? So when Tanaka was pitching. But the problem was Tanaka had such a good game the first time with Sanchez, you don't want to mess that up. So it's, you know, it, it's difficult. It's, it's a tough, tough choice for Booney. To decide that. Now, I will say this: Joe Torre did it in '96 when Wade Boggs and Tino Martinez weren't hitting, and we got to the World Series. And he said, "Okay, Cecil and you know, and Charlie, you're hot. Let's go." And he rode them the entire time. And you know, it, it, so there are certain managers that that are able to make those decisions, and certain managers that don't. I think back then, Mark, in all honesty, is that the manager had a lot more control and a lot more leeway to do things where I don't think Booney has quite that much. Hey, Jim, this is Ryan Sherman. So I want to start by prefacing this saying that I am a Yankee fan, and I'm, I'm actually a pretty big Gary Sanchez fan, and I've, I've long time been like a defender of his. But my question is about the trust between him and specifically the, the relief pitchers, whose stuff is so strong and nasty that on a certain count, you would expect them to be able to spike a ball in the dirt. And maybe they're not so willing to do that, not knowing what Gary is capable of blocking back there. And then does that affect, you know, the confidence of the pitcher to throw the pitches that he needs to up there instead of trying to get the ball over the plate? Oh, it definitely has an effect. I mean, you know, the bottom line was that was one of my strengths was, you know, especially catching guys like Hitchcock and Pettit and guys that, that did, you know, threw a lot of balls that when they were heading the count down in the dirt. They, your pitcher has to have that confidence that you're going to block that ball. Um, and and it, it, it makes all the difference in the world as far as what you're asking. Um, and I, so I think maybe that's, yeah, that, that sometimes, you know, has, a, uh, has an effect on the pitchers, too. Again, there was a lot of times that I remember during this season that we were talking and we were raving about Gary Sanchez's defense. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, the, the one thing that really frustrates, I think, me, Joe Girardi, certain people that are catchers, is that he's able to do it. It's just not consistent. And I think that's what they're looking for. I mean, the guy can hit you know, like crazy with the home runs and everything else, but when he's not hitting, his defense has got to be more consistent. And I think that's, that's what they're, they're going to have to hope look for going forward. 
You know, the other night, I think it was game two in the first inning. Brett Gardner is up, his runner on first. And, and I know that, you know, the Yankees and pretty much all of baseball don't bunt anymore. And the company line is you play the way you played during the regular season. You, you, you dance with the girl that brought you there. So yeah. the bunting is not – small ball is not the Yankees thing. But if that's the case – then why pull your starter in the fifth inning you know, when he had only given up one run? Because that's not what the Yankees do either. So where does going by the book start and end? You know, why not bunt a runner over when, when you know that you're going to struggle for runs in the game and go, get on the board early? Well, I, you know, you're specifically talking about the Garrett Cole game, which I yep. think I, I, I was there that night. and That's the first thing I said. You know, and, and I it's just it's frustrating because you're right. I mean, it's the postseason. It's it's not it's not the same way you got there, and it's not going to happen that way when you're facing somebody as dominant as him. And in the first inning, when you got first and second, as they are, after they just got one run on the board, not not trying. And you don't even have to punt for a sacrifice because a lot of people go, "Well, Gardner only had one sacrifice all year, all year." But yeah, but you know what? He had like twelve or fifteen the year before. It's not that he doesn't know how to do it. It's but also. Brett Gardner is one of the fastest guys on our team, so lay down a bunt for a base hit. But that's the one thing that I, Mark, I go back on, and Ryan, and I go back on, and I talk about how Derek Jeter was such a great player as far as baseball instincts. You didn't have to tell Derek Jeter when his guys on second base and nobody out, and he was coming up in a, in a big game that to, to, to try to lay down a bunt for a base hit. If you don't get the bunt, at least you got the runner over. I mean, there was, those were certain things that guys were taught. And they they came up knowing. I'm not too sure with all these analytics and everything else that they got going on nowadays that any of these guys coming up have any idea how to really play the play the game. It, you know, it, it, without the statistics, just by the feel of the game. You know, I think Arod was talking about it the other night. You know, it, it, there's a there's a lot of, uh, and especially in the postseason baseball, you, there's a lot of eye what I call eye candy. I got to watch when my, when this guy comes to the plate. As a catcher, does he have confidence, or is he coming up there scared to death? Because it's the playoffs, it's the World Series, whatever it might be. You know, those those are the things that are important. Also, is to, is to know the body language of, of your opposing players and know when when you can see weaknesses and, and and know when you can see certain guys that have strengths. So it's interesting you say that because I, I think the amount of data that we now have and every player has and, and all the video work they do maybe takes a little bit of that away. I think they go up there just with all the, the analytics in their head. It's, you know, what is it? They say um, paralysis by analysis. But so what I really want to ask is how much data did you have available to you on, on when you faced Mark Wallers in, you know, game four, top of the eighth, Yankees down 6-3, two men, one out. And if you did have so much data, you know, available to you, I would imagine – you know, it would have never indicated that you were going to get a slider in a 2-2 count. Exactly. Uh, here's what I'll tell you. And, again, it was one of the complaints that some of my managers had about me. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know anything about the, the, the guys I was. I just wanted to know what pitches, what pitches the pitcher had. And, I, and as far as Mark Wallace goes, because that was, you know, during the crazy time of the World Series, I found out what Mark Wallers had when I was leaving, leaving the, the dugout to go to the on-deck circle, and I looked at Don Zim, and I said, Zim, what's this guy got? And Zim said, he throws 100 miles an hour, get it ready. That's all I knew. Okay? And, I, you know, I knew he had, I, I thought he was a two-pitch pitcher. I thought he was a fastball slider pitcher. 
Had Mark, had I had all these analytics on Mark Wallers, I might have been looking for a fourth ball before the slider because the slider was his third best pitch. So for me, I, I always say the same thing. I go by the moment in the game, the, the, the feel for the game itself. And I think that's more important than any numbers or statistics. The one thing I always tell these analytic guys, and I, listen, I love the analytics. I think it's great. But if you can tell me, if I throw a 97-mile-an-hour fastball at your head, what that guy does on the next pitch, then I'll believe in some analytics. But I can guarantee you, eight out of every ten players, and if, I was, if Chapman was to throw a ball up and in, knock him off the plate a little bit, knock him down maybe, the next pitch, that guy's not digging in. You know, and I think that's kind of what's changed a little bit too with the game, as far as that goes. The intimidation of the of the pitcher. Uh, that, that, that you know, I remember Roger Clemens saying, "That's my flight, not yours." <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting because I went back and watched that at bat, and, and you know, you fouled off two really good pitches, and, and one you really got the barrel hit. You you reached out just to keep the at bat alive. But if you go back and watch that full at bat, one of the guys that you see watching intently from the dugout is Joe Girardi. And the reason why I bring it up, obviously, is Joe's been mentioned as a potential hire of both either the Phillies and the Mets. So before what we talk about what would make him a good fit for those two teams. Let's look at it the opposite way. Which team do you think is a better fit for Joe and why? Which two, which two teams are you talking about? The Phillies and the Mets. Okay. So has is, is Chicago been taken out yet? They haven't, but right now, I mean, they say the front rows are the Phillies and the Mets. Okay. Yeah, because I know, I know in Joe's heart, Joe's always been a, you know, from Chicago, Northwestern guy. Uh, I would think that in his mind – that would be, might be his first choice. Um, but as far as the Mets or the Phillies, I really believe that Joe is a great fit for the Mets. Um, he knows the New York media. He, you know, he, he's, he's won in New York uh, and won consistently. Um, even, even, and, but he was also part of that regime with Joe Torre and, and kind of what Booney has carried on is that there's no excuses when players get hurt. Okay. Oh, our season went bad because certain guys got hurt. You didn't hear that all year from the Yankees, and those guys had guys more hurt than anything. When Joe Torre was managing, Joe Torre started a a attitude or just a, a a a way of playing baseball in New York. When one person got hurt, it was who's next? Who's next? Okay, yeah, we're sorry that David Cohen got an aneurysm, but guess what, David? We're going to wish you bad, get well, but somebody else is going to step in and take your place. And that's the attitude that has started, I think, over since the 90s that has carried over. Girardi carried it over when he managed. I believe you know, now Boone is carrying the same type of attitude over saying, hey, listen, yeah, we just lost our superstar, but guess what? We got somebody else waiting. You know? And I think that Girardi would be a great fit for that with the, with the Mets. Well, Jim, it's AJ. So, question. One of the things, Joe had a nice 10-year run with the Yankees. But the feeling at the end was maybe he was a little out of touch with this generation of player. Knowing him as you do, what would you say to respond to that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I believe that. I believe also that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, we're in a new era where sometimes when you call out some players and they don't like it, that you end up losing your job because of it. Um, you know, and I think, you know, as, as managers, I remember, you know, playing for certain managers. I remember playing for Buck Showalter in his first year, and then now meeting Buck and seeing Buck and, and watching him when he was coaching in Baltimore. 
what a change. I mean, the guy, the guy to me was the smartest manager ever in the game, but he, he, it, was, it took a while for him to know people. All right, Joe has done both. Joe, Joe knows the game. He studies the game, loves the analytics, but he also likes to feel the game because his mentor growing up or playing, coming up playing was Don Zimmer. And Zimmer was not uh, – the only thing you can get Don Zimmer to read back in the day was a racing form. He wasn't going <laughs> to read all these analytics. Yeah. Okay? And that's what I loved about Zim. Zim sat there on the bench, and he watched people. And he knew people. And he, he, could, he could read people's body language. And that, that's why he was such a great baseball guy. Um, but I think Joe, Joe developed a lot of that. And I think, like I said, the situation ended toughly you know, with, with the Yankees. Um, but the question was, is, you know, was Joe, was Joe the reason? And it wasn't. It was just, it's kind of like Joe Madden leaving Chicago. You know what? There comes a certain time when you're there for so long that, you know what, certain people you, you don't get along with, you, it's kind of like a bad marriage, and you move on. And I think that's, that was the situation with Joe, with the, with, with the Yankees, of course, Madden with the Cubs. Um, but I think, like I said, if, if I'm looking to turn the Mets around, I've got to bring back a little bit more of that flair, that you know, guy, that East Coast mentality, baseball, and uh, you know, I, I think Joe, Joe would be a good a good fit for them. So you've been a pitching coach with the Newark Bears, and there are a lot of guys who made good money in the game and have taken jobs in the minors as coaches or managers. What was coaching like for you? What is the attraction for a former player to get back on those minor league buses in hopes of getting back as a coach in the majors? And is it something that you still aspire to do? Yeah, well, you know, I spent those two years over there with, with the Bears, and uh, it was it was it was great. I mean, I loved coaching young kids. You know, one of my specialties as a player, as a catcher, was I I usually got the young the young pitcher that was just coming up because I kind of knew how to handle young kids and teach them and, and and mentor them. And you know, Andy Pettit and I, you know, for two years we had such a great relationship. Uh, before then, I had Sterling Hitchcock. When I went to Texas, I ended up becoming a personal catcher for Darren Oliver. Uh, you know, with the Angels, it was Jason Dixon when he first came up. So I, I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about the coaching part was really getting the confidence into the player. Um, you know, when a young kid came up to pitch in the big leagues, and I had already played seven years, and I remember Jason Dixon, this is with the Angels, and he came up to me and he said, okay, I'll throw whatever you call. And I was like, what? He's like, well, you know, you've been in the big leagues for seven years, I'll throw whatever you call. And I was like, no, 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 dude, hold on. I go, yes, I do know a little bit more about you and the hitters and things like that. But what got you here, I don't know. I didn't catch you. So what I will tell you is if you do shake off something and I feel like it's what I really want, I'll put it down again. And if you shake that time, then I'll come out to the mound and we'll talk. But here's what I won't want you to do. I don't want you throwing any pitch not 100% confident. And... Man, when I told these kids that, you know, when I told Andy that in 95, when I told Jason that in 97, the confidence that they had, like, wow, wait a minute, this guy wants to, he's going to listen to me too? That is, goes such a long way for a relationship between a pitcher and catcher. And, and, and I think that's, that's a huge thing to be able to teach the, you know, you know, the catchers, to be able to teach the pitchers, to be able to learn how to, to work with each other that way. That was one of the things I took the most pride in, was being able to work like that with other players. You know, one of the things that AJ brought up two weeks ago with Neil Allen was the fact that so many managers are former catchers. You look at your former managers. You had Buck 
Bucky Dent, Stump Merrill, Buck Walter, Joe Torrey, Terry Collins, Johnny Oates, Jimmy Williams, Bruce, Bruce Bochy, and Davey Johnson. In that mix is five infielders and four catchers. As a player, did you notice any difference in game strategies between when a manager was a former catcher or, or he was a former infielder? Yeah, you know, not, not, I mean, not really. I mean, yeah, the catchers, the catchers were more, I think, more prepared about what's coming up next because that's what we always had to do. When, when, when a guy came to the plate, if, if he was one of the better hitters, I had to look and see who the next hitter was or the hitter after that, know that maybe we pitch around him a little bit or we don't give him something good to hit. Um, I think when, catchers get that mentality. The catchers also know because we, know, we see everything. We see the responsibility of the shortstop, the responsibility of the first baseman, where the ball is supposed to go when it's hit to a certain place in the outfield. Catchers are much stronger in that category. What I will say is there was nobody smarter than Buck Showalter as far as a guy that was at the club, you know, in the clubhouse early, left late, and knew everything. And the one thing I loved about Buck, and it was, you know, because I, I used to be on the bench a lot and sitting there complaining in his ear, but, um, but I used to sit there and just listen to him talk to, you know, to his bench coach or even to me sometimes and say, watch, I'm going to do this. Watch what they do. They're going to do this. And it was so, every time, whatever he, it was exactly what he said. I mean, this guy knew, like he was playing chess. He knew, okay, I'm going to make that move. They're going to make that move, and now it's going to play into my strength. That's where Buck was so good. So I think, you know, like I said, it, it, it's not a matter of what position you played. It's, you, I think you do have an advantage being a, a former catcher. Uh, at the same time, it's, it's more so, I think, knowing how to manage people. And that's what Joe Torrey did better than anybody uh, to, to be able to get, get guys coming in the clubhouse every day confident that if their name was on that starting lineup, they were in there for a reason and they were in there for a chance to perform. And I think that's, that's the most important thing that a manager can do. Jim, it's interesting. There's some players, you look at them when they play, they say, these guys, this player is going to be a manager someday. Is there anybody you can think of who you played with, every thought would be a manager someday, who hasn't? It surprises you. Oh, who hasn't? Oh, I'm kind of surprised David Cohen hasn't gone back on the field. <laughs> yeah, you know? Obviously, you listen to this show a lot. Right. Yeah. Mark's been lobbying I've been for lobbying David Cohen for, for, you know, for, for years. Uh, the guy is one of the most intelligent guys out there. Um, well, listen, I'm hoping if Girardi gets a job with the Mets and he brings me along with him, I've already reached out to him and said, listen, you get a job somewhere, I'd love to be on your staff. Because, again, you, know, you need to have a variety of personalities on your coaching staff to get the most out of your players. And, you know, everybody always asks me, would you ever want to manage? And I'm like, I don't think I would because it takes away the relationship with the player because you're the manager. I really would love to be coaching where you could be, you could, you could be kind of like the buddy to the guy and talk to the guy and, you know, and really work with them on their confidence and going out there every single day. So I think, uh, you know, that's one of the things I think that's missing with all this analytics is that they're hiring these guys that have never experienced playing a game in the big leagues or even, you know, in pressure moments. I was talking about the other day, I was watching, I can't remember what team it was, but the pitching coach, and they had mentioned the pitching coach had never played in the major leagues. And I was like, how is this guy going out to the mound and trying to talk to this pitcher and convince him that, oh, I know how you feel, you know, <laughs> That's the part that you cannot take away from this game. 
if you want to be successful because you need to have players, coaches that have been through that before that can be sitting on the bench and talking to the guy that, you know, when, when, you're, when you're taking – I remember Showalter was so great at when he would take batting practice. He would walk around, and Joe Girardi did the same thing. He would walk around during batting practice, speak to each individual player out in the outfield about, hey, how's your day going? What's, and get a feel for what these guys were feeling and thinking and how you know, that might affect some of his decision-making as the game goes on. And I think that's the job kind of of some of the coaching staff is to be able to be able to talk to the players and say, hey, hey I talked to so-and-so today. You know, he's, he's down a little bit. You know, you know, certain things that you have to be able to communicate to make sure that your ball club has a chance to win every single day. So, so you dropped a, a little bombshell there that you've spoken to Girardi and, and would like to be part of his staff. So, it, you know, you were a pitching coach. Um, I don't know if the Mets will give whoever they hire full autonomy because Phil Reagan did a really good job here. Their hitting coach was fairly solid in Chili Davis. What would, would you want to be a bench coach? You know, what which position coach would you want to be if you had your your op, if you got your first pick? What would it be? Well, you know, I think the easiest job is the first base coach, basically, and 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 that way you can work with the catchers, I can work with the you know hitters and things like that. But I think honestly. Um, as a bullpen coach, I, gonna, I, I think that would be, coach. and that's not the that's not the attractive job. But the way the bullpens are nowadays, and the way the, the importance of the bullpens, um, I think that would be a, a job that I would probably be pretty good at. It's interesting because again, we go back to Neil Allen. Yeah, Neil Allen, yeah. I asked him which was the most important, you know, for him on staff. And he said pitching coach and bullpen coach were 1-1A. One and one A. He said specifically the bullpen coach because they know what you're throwing in the bullpen. They know your pitch counts. They, they, they're really attuned to everything. So that's very interesting. You're right. It is an underappreciated you know, position. Joe Madden was hired by the Angels this past week, and he was your bench coach when you played with the Angels on a staff, if I remember correctly, which I was, like totally blew me away, that, that coaching staff. It was Larry Bower at third base, Rod Grew was the hitting coach, and Dave Parker, the Culver, was over at first base. It's a yep. pretty nice staff. So Madden returns to an organization that really is in turmoil with reports this past week that an employee of the organization all right, actually told federal investigators that he supplied pitcher Tyler Skaggs with oxycodone before his death. You played there 22 years ago in 1997, and it's interesting. In those 22 years since you, know, you played there, they have, have, have had 13 winning seasons, only nine losing seasons. They had one manager who managed for 18 years in Mike Sosha, yet now they're going to be on their third manager in three years after four straight losing seasons. Um, all that while having arguably the best player in baseball. What can Joe bring to that organization, especially at this point in time, given all the turmoil that they're under? Well, one thing is, you know, Joe's a very analytical mind, but he's also very in tune with the players. That's one thing I loved about him when he was my bench coach. You know, him and I used to sit together all the time and talk, and, you know, he, he just, he was, he was really good at getting to know people and getting, getting to get into their heads and their personalities. Um, I think he'll be a good fit there. I think, again, the coaching staff that they put around him is going to be important. I reached I reach out to Billy Epler and put my name out there, too, because that's where I live in California. Um, you know, it's important that the staff that you put around there. And I really do believe that they need a little more of, like when Larry Boa and Dave Parker came in from the East Coast and came out to the West Coast to coach out there, they 
they brought a little East Coast attitude out there. And I don't mean to say that that's much better than anything else, but there is no passion better than East Coast baseball. And I think to get a couple coaches out there that have that mentality that can push these guys a little harder, because you, you, can, you can get lazy in California. Believe me, I live there. You know, the, weather's, the weather's beautiful. You show up at the ballpark every day. It's 75 and, 50 and 65. I mean, there's, there's nothing. Sometimes that incentive. I, I remember my, like two weeks in the season like when I played for the Angels, and I went over for four. And I didn't like, I think I went over for the day before. And I was walking out of the stadium with Garrett Anderson, and we were just talking. And one of the fans yelled, Jimmy, you're doing great, buddy. Keep it up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm over for my last eight. If this was New York, people would be throwing stuff at me. That's the kind of attitude. That's, that's the kind of people I want behind me, pushing me to, put, to play hard every single day. And that's the attitude that, that you have to have in this game because, you know, 162 games in 180 days, there's no time to have an off day. Hey, Jim, so I want to ask a more general baseball question in terms of, you know, all of the, the strikeouts, all the home runs, but two players that stick out to me are both DJ LeMahieu and Altuve, who coincidentally hit home runs last night, but they succeed or excel mostly with bat-to-ball skills. Do you think we're going to see more players making it through the major leagues when they just have extraordinary bat-to-ball skills and not so much trying to club 40 home runs? Well, I think that needs to come back, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've got, and again, you know, the analytics or whatever you want to call them, or whatever points to that, that, why they think it's better what they're doing now. I, can't, I cannot imagine being a hitting coach. And, and I, I, I really want to see Chili because I love Chili Davis. Chili and I and were teammates, and I, I think he's one of, the best, one of the better hitting coaches that are, that are out there right now. But I really want to ask him and, and say, when you come up and you have a whole side of the infield to hit a ball, we can't teach these kids how to hit a ball through there. He, he did this year. The, the Mets went the other way, and, yeah. and they, they hit against the yeah. shift. It was, it was, it was a beautiful so thing to see. that can be taught, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Dropping bunts, right? There's no question. And that's, that's what we're talking about. I mean, when is playing that, baseball. When that is was that my question. Right. Is when, it coming? Right. Yeah. It, well, there's going to be a paradigm shift. Right. You know what? They went to the home runs because that was the way. Now, you know, with all the shifting and the way they're pitching high, so you can't, you know, do – the, the swing, you know, you're going to have to go the opposite way. You're going to see more hitters be able to spray to all field. You're going to see more Well, see Tony, the good hitters, the successful right. hitters. You're going to see Don't more Tony Gwynn. Ty- Listen, McNeil, you're going to see guys like yeah, that. Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's what you're going to start seeing. Which makes the game more exciting. Absolutely. All right, so a couple of quick questions before we let you go. So if you were part of an interview committee in a manager search, what would be the two most important questions you had for the potential candidate? For the manager? Yep. It, 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 you're interviewing... You're, you're on the committee. You're hiring a manager. What are the two questions you're asking them? Well, again, that will vary according to where I'm at. If I'm on the East Coast, if I'm in New York, first thing I'm going to answer is, how, how do you know how to handle the press, the media? Can you handle the pressure? Um, and then the second one would be, you know, as far as a mixture of analytics and what you know about the game, how would you use analytics to, uh, to improve your ball club. I think that would be important to hear from a manager. And I would love to hear, like, yeah, like a guy like Gerardi, guys that have played that are becoming managers, uh, that there's a combination of the two, but I don't rely heavily on either one. And I would like, that would be an important question for me as a manager because I, I want somebody like an A.J. Hinch that doesn't necessarily go with the odds every single time. 
and you know, what the analytics say. He goes by sometimes, you know, I'm going to leave. I went with a kid in the last World Series. He left his pitch. He played in Tampa Bay this year. Um, Morton, Charlie Morton. He left Charlie Morton in for two extra innings in the World Series. When everybody was screaming, the analytics say, no, take him out, take him out. He went with how he looked and the feel of it. And I think that's what A.J. does really, really well. I know, I, just, I know him from when he was at Padres, and he is an analytic guy, but he also has a good, good feel for the game, and he sometimes goes against the odds, which I think is important. All right. We, we've talked about the work you do off the field in the open. Tell our audience a little bit about the charities you're involved with and how they can help out. Well, Pinkai is, is, is the number one charity that I'm involved with. They, uh, they raise money for all different charities and foundations that need financial help here in Long Island and New York. Um, they're part of a title company that I used to work with them, that I do title with. Um, and uh, they also partnered up with, I'm also now a, a licensed real estate agent in New York. So I have my real estate license here and with Keller Williams. And uh, so a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that we do building our business with other people has to do with, the people that we do business with have to have a give back. Some type of a, you know, some type of a give back. Like when I sell a house, you know, I'm giving 15%, you know, 15% of my commission will go towards big guy or towards a charity. 10% of this, you know, certain things will go back. So everything that we make money has a give back to be able to help other people. And I think that's, that's, that's what I love about this organization that I'm with, uh, that I've been with for the last five years. Um, and what they've done, and you know, we just had a run today uh, for Scott Key, uh, Beagle, who was one of the uh, teachers that was shot in the Parkland. Parkland. Yeah, yep, in Parkland, and he was actually from here, from Long Island. His his mother and father were there today, and they they had come to Pink Tie and First Equity and said, "Can you help us?" And we ended up, you know, helping them put this run, this walk run on today uh, out there at uh, at the Ketcher Park, Hexter Park, whatever it's called, Hexter State mm-hmm. Park. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So we went out there today and did that. Those are some of the things that that I that I love to be a part of. Love to, to that Pink Tide and, and First Equity do those type of things. Uh, and again, just you know, being able to give back. All right. Before we let you go, we need your World Series prediction. Who are you taking and how many games? Man, that's a tough one. I tell you what, I I, I don't care whether Washington had a week off. They are so they are so primed to win right now, and I think sometimes when you have the extra part of a city behind you, I and the reason I say this is because I experienced it in San Diego. There, there was no reason why we wound up in that World Series against the teams that we had to play to get there: Randy Johnson and the Houston Astros, you know, the the Braves. There was no reason we were that we were, but we had a city behind us because it was the first time that they had a taste of you know that type of team and that in so many years, I think Houston, they've already been there. It's not going to be as exciting, but Washington, that place is going to be nuts because this is the first time that they're able to do it. I think as a player, that sometimes helps motivate you a little bit more when you're this late into a season. All right. So you're I'm going with Washington. So you're with AJ and I. All right. So so far now we're at three and three, right? Three and three, exactly. Three and three so far. We we got more guys coming up. Jimmy, we appreciate it. Hope to hear from you soon. And my father, Lonnie Sherman, says hi. (laughs) Oh, tell him I said hello. You got it. There you go. Jim Lairitz, World Series hero. We'll be back with the NHL report and Russ Cohn right after these messages.